and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. And, you know, there's a lot of moms I'm talking to who want to show up to their kids as, you know, they're, they're feeling okay, they're balanced, they're secure, even though they're feeling a lot of anxiety inside. But the irony is that it's teaching the kids to show up in a stoic way as well. And it doesn't actually honor and, and role model how to express what you're really feeling. And so I really encourage moms, especially if you're feeling sad, to not be afraid to cry in front of your kids and just to name, I'm really sad right now and let that be okay because a lot of women are afraid to express how they feel. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode. That little clip right there was Jory Rose. She's my guest on today's podcast. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a mindfulness expert and Today, we're going to talk a lot about momming and mindfulness. I think that's super important, and it's something that we have a lot of guilt about. We also tend to hide our emotions, and so Jory and I kind of dive into that pretty deep today, so I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you guys. Before we get going too fast, if you just want to hit the pause button and subscribe to this podcast it would really help me out because it will help other people find this podcast so um, subscribing sharing with your friends sharing with your family leaving written reviews or star reviews really help this podcast out it helps it continue to grow so that I can bring other experts on the podcast and it makes it a little bit more visible so those are ways you can help me because I don't put a lot of ads on my podcast I try to keep it strictly informational so before Jory and I get going also wanted to remind you that you can stop on over to ConnieNightingale.com I have all sorts of wonderful information on my website as far as in my blog I've got recipes I've got articles I've got free recipe packs, all sorts of amazing things that I think you'll enjoy. So without further ado, here's Jory Rose. So before we get rolling too much into conversation here, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Connie, I live in uh, the Bay Area in Northern California. I've got two teenage daughters, which I have to say, I was always afraid of having teenagers and I have the best relationship with my daughters. It's been such an amazing journey that is really, I'll speak more to about as we get further into conversation, but um, my mindfulness practice has allowed me to develop such amazing presence and relationship with my daughters, which has made this sheltering in place um, quite a lovely experience with a 14 and a 16 year old. <laughs> um, I, I am a marriage and family therapist. I 
have a big passion for working mainly with women, but that of course transfers into couples work, which I'm also quite passionate about parenting work. Um, I, I work with women to guide them in greater tools to live more consciously, you know, to get unstuck from what's not working in their lives and help build the tools through the framework of mindfulness of how to be more present, how to be more aware, but ultimately how to be fulfilled and happy. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because it is my fundamental belief that growth and change is possible. And the reason I know this to be true is because I did it. And I am someone that used to live my life with a lot of fear and anxiety, especially of the unknown. I was raised with um, a belief system that the world's a scary place. And so I often chose safety over growth because it was comfortable, but it almost also limited me in living a full life and what that looked like was I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart who I started dating at 13 years old. And while I created the life I, I, I really wanted and had a really beautiful life, there was something missing. And what was missing was I didn't really know who I was because I had just continued that trajectory of what was next, what was next, what was next, what was next. And I never had the courage to slow down to get off that treadmill and pause and say, who am I really right now? What is it that I really want and what's preventing me from getting there? And so waking up one day in my early thirties, I, I had this awareness of, oh my gosh, I, you know, who am I? How did I get here? And it started what I call my, my one third life crisis because I was too young for it to be midlife. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, got me into therapy. And I had actually prior to that had already had a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I had started on the 3000 hours towards becoming a therapist. But at the time when I was doing my education and my internships, I realized I, I was too young. I had no life experience and, and, you know, to be anybody's therapist. And I ended up stopping those hours to be home and have my kids. And I was so grateful because I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. So I, I loved those years with them. But yet when I woke up this in, with my early 30s, part of what this had me do was get into therapy for the first time as an adult. And I'll never forget that first day sitting in my therapist's office and recognizing, wow, this space feels really good. And I also want to be on the other side of the couch. So I ended up going back for my hours of which I had lost all 1500 hours I had gained it up until that point. So in California, you need to complete them within six years. And I was outside that window. So I had to start all over again. And this time I actually felt ready and prepared to show up in a different way as a therapist. And one day sitting in my supervisor's office, I saw a book titled Mindfulness. I had never heard of mindfulness, didn't know what it was, had never meditated a day in my life. But my curiosity led me to some more investigations and through a series of phone calls and web searches, I ended up um, starting a mindfulness class the very next week where I even drove an hour once a week to get there to take this class. And it was the beginning of my transformation because I didn't know what it was yet. I couldn't define it, but I knew enough to know it was what I needed and that I wanted to learn more. So the next couple of years, I delved into mindfulness both professionally 
as well as personally and professionally. That looks like getting certified to teach mindfulness to kids, um, going on retreats with the top mindfulness teachers in the country. Um, I even did a five-day silent Buddhist meditation retreat where for five days it was about 16 hours a day of meditation with not even, not just no talking, but no eye contact, no reading, no writing. I, I mean, a complete in, internal and external silence. And if I can do that, anyone can do that. Because once I started talking, I haven't stopped. So. <laughs> um, but it was this huge transformation. And my mindfulness practice is what gave me the ability to slow down, really, for the first time in my life. And get out of my head and into my body. Because in my head, I had over-justified everything. Like, you know, I believed my thoughts. But I had this cognitive dissonance where there was a misalignment between what I thought and what I felt. And in the absence of knowing which one to trust, my head or my heart, I went with my head. But that wasn't working for me anymore. So I had to learn how to get out of the thoughts and learn to trust myself and my intuition and even what that looked like. And it, you know, needless to say, completely transformed my life. And once I got out of the fear of sitting with what is and looking at myself, I was able to make a lot of change. And that looked like um, I ended up getting divorced. And I mean, I had never known anything but that relationship. So I was able to transform my entire mentality of the unknown is scary to shifting that to, wow, the unknown is awesome because I get to create my life rather than I'm at the whim of however it unfolds. So taking more charge of my future and deciding that's where my choices lie. That's where my happiness is. That's where my fulfillment is because I get to create it. And finished my hours and opened up a private practice. And it's just been growing and flourishing. I've developed curriculum that for years I've been teaching in my local community that I'm now beginning to put up online um, courses in mindfulness and mindful parenting. I've gotten uh, two mindfulness books for kids published and it's just, it's been a journey for sure. Wow. That's incredible. And it's so hard, especially where you're saying where you, you were so disconnected. It's so hard to decide where your place is. And it's so hard to, to decide what to follow because I totally understand what you're saying about having your head in one place and your heart in another. Yes. And, you know, I find this is a struggle of many women and, you know, as women, we are by definition selfless, like that's what defines a good mom or a good wife as we put our family ahead of ourselves. And there's a lot of beauty and virtue in that. And it also put, means that we put ourselves last and we feel selfish for honoring our own needs. When in fact, when we can embrace our needs, I actually believe it becomes the most selfless act to our families because we get to role model authenticity. We get to role model leadership in our own lives. And that, you know, it's, you know, women feel guilty for self-care. Women feel guilty for making a decision that benefits them and not their families. And I struggled with that greatly. And like I said, having had two daughters, you know, I had to ultimately role model, what do I, you know, I had to decide, what do I want to role model to my daughters about how I would want them to live their lives? Because the decisions that I made at 14 and 24, while they worked in the moment, they didn't work for me forever. 
that doesn't mean they were bad choices. It just meant we weren't growing on the same trajectory. And, and, you know, that authenticity of my growth was a huge value of mine. I had to figure out how to be in alignment with. It doesn't mean it was easy. I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And yet I feel confident in the ability it gave, not just me, but my daughters in how they can choose to live their lives. I love that. I feel like um, everything as a mom, you spend all this time trying to find this balance and it's pretty crazy. It can be the silliest thing. I mean, even in my own personal life, somebody will be like, Hey, when can we get together for coffee? And I'll be like, uh, I don't know, because you feel like if you get together and go to coffee with somebody, you're neglecting that time with your family, that short, sweet amount of time. If you're working full time or you're doing all these other things. So um, I totally get that. It's it, And there's that in so many forms. For some women, it shows up as fitness. For some, um, it shows up as just uh, going for a walk. I mean, we we tend to put things off for ourselves in order to spend time with our family. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a curious of what's the story we're telling ourselves about what the good mom looks like. Right. And for many women, they look to their mothers who the previous generation, they were the martyrs who were the complete definition of unhappy, unfulfilled women because they put everything for their families. And so to role model something that doesn't necessarily promote happiness. And that's not to say that we're not happy taking care of our families. I'm talking as an individual outside of the roles that we play. And there's so much fear that we want to teach our kids one thing, but we're not role modeling it. And I talk a lot about this with my clients around how to show up authentically in expressing how you feel and maybe this is a you know a very timely conversation during COVID-19 and this pandemic and the sheltering in place and you know there's a lot of moms I'm talking to who want to show up to their kids as you know they're they're feeling okay they're balanced they're secure even though they're feeling a lot of anxiety inside but the irony is that it's teaching the kids to show up in a stoic way as well and it doesn't actually honor and, and role model how to express what you're really feeling. And so I really encourage moms, especially if you're feeling sad, to not be afraid to cry in front of your kids and just to name, I'm really sad right now. And let that be okay, because a lot of women are afraid to express how they feel. Totally. We put on this hat that says that we're the strong one. We're the one that's supportive of everybody. We're the one that's doing what it takes every single day to run a household and to do everything perfect. And, you know, it's funny because we always, I love what you said about that. We always seem to base it on the idea of what a good mom actually is. And that's something you don't really think about as you're doing it. But then you, there is this persona out there saying what a good mom is. And we all try to just go for that or go towards who our friend is, who looks like they're a great mom. And, and if you can't do that, then you're a failure kind of. Exactly. And, you know, so I, I, I've chosen authenticity with my, with my daughters and, you know, a couple of things I want to share about this is I'm going to go back just a second. I'm going to come back to this, but when you were saying that idea about, you know, feeling guilty for going out for a cup of coffee or exercising is 
in the moment, the kids are going to be resistance of resistant of that, right? Because kids inherently are egocentric and their world revolve around them and they don't really see, oh, wow, mom really deserves a break. Let me give her that time. And one of the things that I've struggled with this in a lot is I both attend retreats and I lead retreats and me being on retreat has always been difficult for my daughters. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are very close, we're very attached. And when I'm gone, it's very hard for them. But I'll never forget a couple years ago, my youngest daughter had this little journaling book where it was um, ways to get to know mom and daughter. So we would each add entries about each other and ask each other questions. And it was kind of a nighttime ritual for a period of time. And one of the questions that was asked was name some words that describe your mom. And she was my daughter who especially had a difficult time when I was gone. She would anticipate me leaving for like three months prior to me going anywhere. But the first word she used to describe me in that journal was adventurous. I love it. Which was amazing to me because as hard as it was on her when I left and as much struggle, I mean, we were in therapy sessions just trying to prepare her for me to be gone for a week at a time, months before it happened. Like it was real struggle. And yet her takeaway was my mom's adventurous. That's amazing. And I never forgot that because the emotions in the moment are one thing, but what am I role modeling is something else. I love that so much. I know I get a lot of backlash because I'm a bodybuilder and I'm heavy into the fitness community. And oftentimes I'm not sure why this is, but I get persecuted for the fact that I work out and I try to take really good care of myself. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I've gotten a lot of feedback from that and it, kind of exacerbates the feelings you have because I try to make my fitness schedule work really well with my family. I work out at 4 a.m. I don't work out after work or at times when I have family events going on. And um, I just I get major pushback from people around me about that. They're like, well, if I didn't spend time with my kids, I would be doing fitness too." you know, comments like that. Um, What they don't. Yeah. As a mom, I mean, you have guilt. We all know that as mothers, we all have guilt about all sorts of things. It can be like if we didn't um, kiss our child goodbye before they went to school. It can be the dumbest little thing. And you'll sit and let it marinate for days over just silly things that we maybe should be considering letting go of. It's so true. And it's so true. And I just come back to that. What am I role modeling? Well, you know, by you getting up early, you're role modeling perseverance and dedication and self-care and it's highlighting your values of health. Like it's so many things. And I think when people judge it, it's less of a judgment on you and more of a reflection on their perceived inability to do the same thing. Yeah. Yep. But what I wanted to also share was, you know, when, when talking about role modeling authenticity to our kids, a couple weeks ago, I mean, for the most part, you know, through this pandemic, we've done really well, you know, we have our health and everyone we know is healthy. I've been able to continue my private practice online. It's given me huge amounts of time to dedicate to building my online business that I haven't otherwise had. My girls and I get along really easily and well. So for the most part, this has been fine. Um, And there's been a couple of moments that have been really hard. And part of it had come at lost opportunities or things being taken away just because of the way the world is right now. 
And there was one day about a week and a half ago that it was like three things in a row just kind of all happened. And I just felt just broken down. And I was sitting in my office actually on my meditation cushion. And I just, I was crying. And my oldest daughter, who's 16, walked in the room and she's like, mommy, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just really, really sad. And she came and sat next to me. She said, here, let me hold you. And she held me as I cried. And it was the most comforting act. And later that night, even on her Snapchat private story, she had commented, like, I had a bad day. My mom had a bad day and it's all okay. Like, you know, whatever it was, but she put me in her circle of this is what's happening right now. And so many moms wouldn't do that. They, you know, their kid would walk in the room, they'd quickly wipe away their tears and they'd say, I'm fine. But by me role modeling crying and saying I'm sad, and this is a very appropriate expression of my sadness, and it makes perfect sense why I'm sad. It gave her the permission, you know, where perhaps earlier in the day she was kind of holding it together. And then later that night she came downstairs and was like, mommy, I'm really sad. And she started crying. And then we just sat together and cried together. I love that. There's so many times we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves everything's okay and tell our circle around us everything's okay when really it's 100% not okay. And it's understandable. And that, you know, people judge themselves that, that they should, right? It's the stop shitting on yourself, that they should be able to hold it together all the time. For what purpose? Be- to say that we're out of touch with our emotions. Well, it's that same being out of touch with our emotions that keep us stuck in our head because we can over justify why it's okay enough not to be sad because there's enough to be grateful for. And in fact, just the other day, there was another major disappointment that came up for my daughter and I was out taking a walk and she had texted me and said, mom, can you come home right now? I'm really sad. And I got home and it was kind of a repeat of a couple weeks earlier where we just sat together crying and I ended up sitting down at my computer and writing a letter that I'm actually going to publish and put out because I think it's a very ubiquitous letter from parents to kids right now about the losses that they're experiencing as a result of where the world is at. And I, I think it's so easy for parents to want to bypass the pain that their kids are in by, well, let's focus on what we're grateful for and what's the silver lining that can come of this. And all those things are really good practices. In fact, Gratitude is an antidote to anger. And so it's something that I teach in my mindfulness tools. And yet, if you bypass sitting with the emotion you're feeling, then you're missing the opportunity at not only self-awareness and self-discovery of being in connection with your emotions, but when you do it for another person, you're missing the opportunity of empathic connection. And I sat there and I said to my daughter, you know, there will be a silver lining that will come from this. I know there's a lot that you're still grateful for. And right now, let's just be sad. Let's not focus on the good stuff at the moment. Let's just let it okay to say this really sucks right now. Yeah, I love that. I think so often we're in denial about how things are and we're trying to turn our frame of mind around that we actually don't process the situation that's currently going on. Well, it becomes what's called the spiritual bypass. It's like you're wanting this, you're wanting the outcome without doing the work. You're wanting to get to the silver lining without, you know, sitting in the in the mud, so to speak. And we know that true spiritual growth happens when we're in the mud, right? It, we need the challenges 
and the adversity to know the suffering to even know the joy. And, you know, it, it, right, right now, actually, I don't know when this episode will be launched, but this will always be available is my partner in both life and love. He's my fiance and he's also a psychologist. He and I just launched an online summit and it's called Surviving to Thriving, How to Grow Through Adversity During the Pandemic. And we've gathered over 25 experts from literally all over the world in different areas. And one of the speakers is a guy named Dr. Dan Tomasulo, who is an expert in hopefulness. And he says, you know, we need uncertainty and challenge to be the precursors to hope. And, but part of it is allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling before you can get to the hope. And again, I think people bypass what's hard, what's scary, what's overwhelming. They just want to be in resistance, denial, or judgment of what they don't like. And they want to kind of grasp and cling and hold on to what feels good. And yet, all of it is part of the human experience. And if we shut out the pain, then we truly don't get to know the joy. I love this. Um, so since this conversation has kind of gravitated this way, what can moms do to kind of try to get back to themselves? Because it's a really uh, hard thing to navigate. There's so many women out there that have this thought in their head, like they need to do something and then they have guilt and then they have time. They have all these factors involved with, um, their ideals of self-care. Yeah. I think the very first step, as I always say, is going to be the first step to anything is awareness. You can't change what you're not aware of. And I know for me on my journey, I was aware of inklings that I was not on the right path really early on, like in my early 20s. But it was too scary to be aware of it at that time, right? I had to be ready to actually look at, because I think with awareness becomes responsibility. And because we can easily be aware of what we're feeling, what we're needing, and just continue to push it away. But I'm talking true awareness to have the compassion to sit with what you see. So I would start with, you know, guiding moms in getting curious, what do I really feel? Not over justifying how great my life is because it's the, everything I've ever wanted, but to really sit with what is and to begin to name or uncover and then unapologetically name your needs and communicate that. And, and part of that is in honoring yourself, you create healthy boundaries. And that looks like, you know what? I need an hour to myself each day unapologetically. And, you know, maybe that's a place to start. Maybe it's, you know, going out, taking a walk alone. Maybe it's simply, if you have young kids, going to the bathroom with the door closed and being uninterrupted. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of hilarious that you say that because when I was going to school and I had these big exams and things, I couldn't get any peace. I think my son was like maybe two and a half or three. And you know how that goes. I would lock myself in the bathroom and pretend that I was using the restroom and I had all my flashcards and stuff hidden on the back of the toilet. (laughs) And yes, it's the only place you can be alone unapologetically. And I remember I still have pictures of it, I'm sure, where there would be like a hand underneath of the door. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. um, Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Yeah. And yet that's the reality. And so I think without starting with even awareness, 
of what you're feeling, it's hard to begin to tap into, well, what do I do about it? And again, it's a scary thing to start to look at, but ultimately I ask, you know, to what cost can we not? Right. I agree wholeheartedly on that. It's really, really difficult. And it's, it's, you know, this is easier said than done. You know, I'm not suggesting it, it's easy, but at some point, and it became the, the issue for me at some point, well, there's two favorite quotes that I have that really changed my life and helped me value where I was at. And they both happen to be by the same person. And it's a nine in. And the first quote is, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was greater than the risk it took to blossom. I love it. And that spoke so deeply to me because it was more painful not to grow than it was to try to grow. And I had to honor that I was pushing down this natural trajectory that my life and my soul was wanting to take. And the more I was in resistance of honoring what I was feeling, the more discontent I was in. And then the other um, powerful quote came from, again, the same person. And I noticed this when I would go on retreats and I would have these very spiritual, deep, mindful experiences. And I'd come home and I felt like I just went from like going deep to like right back up to the surface. And it got to the point where the surface became a difficult place for me to stay because I was deep. I was seeking deeper connection, more authenticity. I was seeking, um, yeah, I just, I wanted things deeper. And so the other Anayanin quote says, I must be a mermaid. I have no fear of great depths, but I have great fear of shallow living. You know, and that makes so much sense to me. I have like these comfort zones in my life where I find it difficult to go to a place where it should be comfortable. Yeah. That's pretty intense. And so, you know, for me, those kind of became some of my Northern lights of, I don't know what it looks like, but I also know that I, I need to go on the journey. And you know, some people will say, well, what happens if the people in your life don't support the journey you're on? And I very jokingly will say, I don't know, I got divorced. And I don't think that divorce is the answer. But, you know, I'm not necessarily pro-divorce, but I am pro-happiness. And I also believe that life is short and this is your one chance to live it. And to, to create change is really hard. And to live stuck, I think, is even harder. Like, that's what that quote is saying, right? It's harder to be stuck than it is to grow. And I honor it where anybody is out on their journey, even if it's simply, wow, I'm just for the first time in my life acknowledging what I feel without judgment. Like that in and of itself is enough. What you do with it doesn't have to be a huge dramatic change, but to just give yourself the internal space to unapologetically and compassionately feel what you feel and then decide what to do. You might have to maybe decide to do nothing different externally. Maybe it's just an internal process. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that's really hard, though, right, is you have so many things out there that say, like, do a great gratitude journal, do this, do that. There, there are all these examples of how to 
um, improve your life or your way of thinking and things. But so many people are going through the motions, but they're not actually allowing their themselves to experience it. So they'll be like, oh, I wrote in my gratitude journal, I must be grateful for something. But really, it's just, right. they're just doing the action. They're not actually in touch with the, the foundation of it. Yeah, and, and that's why I, I come back to mindfulness as the framework of how to get to this place. And, you know, a lot of what I teach is the difference between mindfulness and meditation, because a lot of people use the words interchangeably, and they're not the same thing. They're related for sure. But one of the things that I'm really passionate about is, and as, and again, this you know works for men too, but my, you know, my client base is mostly women is to t- give them the permission and the tools and the, and guide them in how to slow down. Cause I think at the root of where we get stuck is it's this constant, you know, this hedonic treadmill that we're on. And I think one of the gifts, the, one of the beautiful gifts that this pandemic has given us is the ability to slow down for the first time and maybe ever. I, I, (laughs) I'm so guilty because I had time off of work and instead I used it to like catch up on 10,000 projects when I probably should have just taken a small break. Yeah. And, and yet that's okay because it's given you time for something else that's also important to you. And, you know, I've actually been busier than I've ever been, honestly, through this like shelter in place because I'm in such creation mode because I actually have the time, but it's very values driven. So I don't feel guilty about it. I'm busy, but in a very intentional and different way than just running place to place to place to place. And so going back to this, you know, framework of mindfulness and meditation, a lot of people don't practice meditation because they have a lot of myths and preconceptions and misconceptions and judgments about what meditation is and is not. And people often assume they quote, can't meditate because they're quote, not good at it. And by that, they believe they either don't have the time that they get restless, they get bored, their mind won't stop thinking, they don't feel peaceful or zen like at the end. And all of those are misconceptions because to to expect your mind to stop thinking, well, that's a misnomer. That's never going to happen. Our mind produces between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So just because we're sitting down for some stillness and silence doesn't tell our mind to just turn off like a switch. It's not going to do that. So one of the challenges that people have in developing a mindfulness and a meditation practice is because they have the misconception of believing that they have to be able to easily have a clear mind to be able to meditate. And that's just never going to happen because their mind produces all these thoughts. So one of the ways I like to describe it, which I think is really in alignment with what you do and um, is a great visual is, you know, if somebody wants to run a marathon or have a stronger core so they have less back problems or build muscle so they can carry more weight or go hike and climb a mountain. They would have to train their bodies physically to do these outcomes. So it's kind of the same with mindfulness and meditation. Mindfulness would be the outcome of wanting to have greater presence, greater awareness, living more consciously, being in the present moment, living with greater compassion. And so the way that they get there is essentially by going to the gym. 
So meditation is like going to the gym to strengthen the muscle of their brain, to rewire new habits and new patterns. So that way they can be stronger in the moment, off the cushion, so to speak. Because if I wanted to run a marathon, just because I know how to run, it doesn't mean my body would be prepared to go do it. I would have to physically train myself to go do something that I technically know how to do, but I would have to build the endurance and build the muscle. So it's the same analogy with mindfulness and meditation. Meditation is the formal practice where we're building the muscle of the brain to respond differently to what comes up, whether it's thoughts or emotions or sensations or distractions, because typically we have reactions, right? We have a thought, we go to it. We have a thought, we believe it. We have an emotion that's difficult, we push it away. We hear a noise, we get distracted, we're now out of the moment. We feel a physical sensation in our body, we now label it as pain, now we're angry, we're upset, we go take Advil, right? We have all these reactions to what comes up. But when we can slow down and just be in observation of what's arising, then instead of reacting, we choose an intentional response. And so when we build that formal practice in meditation, which as I teach it could be as simple as a minute, a day, two minutes, different times throughout the day, then you recognize you're able to show up in your life, like I said, off the cushion, metaphorically, in a different way because you've built that muscle. I love that because and I'm glad that you stated that because I was going to say, what do you say to people that are like, well, I don't have time for this because I know with myself, I have a pretty stretched schedule. And so I always have these great intentions to start doing other things. And then I'm like, oh, it only takes 30 seconds. But then I forget about it. (laughs) So one of the things that people will say to me all the time is I don't have time to practice mindfulness. And my response is very compassionately, jokingly, in which I will say, yeah, but you've got time to be stressed. You've got time to be angry. You've got time to be mindful because you're not adding something to your to-do list per se, because I really look at these practices as to, it's what's on your to-be list? Who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to show up? in my relationships? How do I want to be in relationship to myself? That doesn't necessarily take any extra time. It takes awareness. And so what it does take time to do is to build that muscle, right? So the meditation may take some time to build the muscle to be able to show up differently. But we can also meet ourselves where we're at with that. And so for me, when I first began, I started meditating in my car, because that was the time that I could easily give myself where I didn't have to carve out any extra time because I was busy and I was a a young mom of young kids working. And I, I recognized that when I was in my car driving to my internship, I could look at that as a commute in which I would utilize by being on the phone or listening to music, pretty much being distracted during my drive. Or I can choose to use that as a gift of time to slow down to connect with my breath, to be more aware of what was going on around me, notice the cars around me, notice the scenery, because I had driven that route, you know, a million times, and I could practically do it with my eyes closed. But that's, that's the metaphor of living on autopilot, is we just go through the motions of our life. 
And then for me, I woke up one day in my early 30s saying, how did I get here? I didn't remember how I got there. So for me, I really started my meditation practice in my car. And of course, you know, keep your eyes open. Meditation doesn't have to look a certain way. Um, but it was a practice of awareness and of being present and of tuning into my senses, tuning into my breath, paying attention to what was going on inside of me, what was going on around me. And when I would drive doing this as a practice, you know, putting down the phone, turning off the music, I found that when I would get to wherever I was going, I was a little bit more calm. I was a little bit more present. I wasn't worried of, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? I just was able to be where I was. So we can do this anytime, anywhere. You can do this in the shower. Like how often are you in the shower and you're like, oh, wait, I shaved my right armpit. Did I shave my left one yet? I don't remember. Or did I already put conditioner in because I wasn't paying attention? <laughs> guilty, guilty. Right? Because we, we stay distracted or even, you know, going out and walking the dog or taking your, you know, daily walk outside. Or even if you're going to the gym and you put on the TV on the treadmill, you're putting the TV on to stay distracted so you don't be present with what you're doing. So what would happen if you did this movement more mindfully, more with awareness, you know? So if you're taking a walk, actually be there on the walk, feel your feet on the ground, feel the air on your skin, notice the colors around you. What do you smell? What do you see? Look around as if seeing things for the first time. So you can let anything become a meditation. It's simply, you know, there's, there's two components to meditation. One is focused attention, which for many people becomes the breath, but it could be sounds, it could be sights, it could be smells, it could be your body. And the other one is open monitoring. The open monitoring is allowing whatever's arising to exist without judgment. So the open monitoring would be the, oh, look, I'm having that thought. Okay, let me just come back from my focus of attention. So we're doing these two things simultaneously. So you could do the same thing folding laundry. You know, focus on the process of just folding the laundry. And as soon as you get distracted, just bring it back to the, to the laundry. I love that. And I love that you said that because I think it, I think for myself, as crazy as it sounds, maybe not for you, but for others, um, I'm a huge cook. Everybody knows that I cook like crazy and I love to cook and it's like, totally a form of meditation for me. And I think it's yeah. because I get so tuned into it. Yeah. And you know, another way of thinking about being mindful is like when you're in the zone, right? Think of athletes when you're just, you're so in it that it's not a thought to be with whatever's arising. That That's another way of being mindful. And in fact, I've just started this online class that um, before COVID was intended to be an in-person event at my office, which one day it will be a come again. But in the meantime, I've now turned it virtual and people can find out about this more on my website, but I'm calling it wind down, W-I-N-E apostrophe D down, wind down. Because so many women, especially have their glass of wine at the end of the night to relax and calm down after a long, stressful day. And they're having that glass of wine as a form of escape, as a form of distraction and disconnection from what they're feeling or what they're thinking or what happened in their day. And, you know, traditionally in mindfulness, when you do a mindful eating practice, you use a raisin. And when I guide a, guide a mindful eating practice, I am guiding how to go through your five senses with one raisin, and it takes about 20 minutes. 
And I am now doing this in these virtual classes where women are signing up with groups of their girlfriends. So think of it like a girl's night out on a Zoom call with your glass of wine, where I am guiding you in a mindfulness practice of actually using the glass of wine as the focal point of the practice, slowing down, tuning in, getting into your senses, and actually making it go from a mindless end of your day to actually your mindfulness practice. Because we have every opportunity to use whatever we're doing to slow down and become more aware and more conscious. I, yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's crazy the little things that all of a sudden you can start finding um, that are, in theory, a mindfulness practice. It doesn't have everything down. Yes. You know, and, you know, when, when I do the mindful eating exercise with the raisin, it's amazing. And I've done this, I've taught this for eight or nine years now. And it 95% of the time, I get the same response where people will say, Oh, my God, that was the best raisin I've ever had. And, <laughs> and, my, on their and, and my response is, you know what? No, that's not the best raisin you've ever had. That's simply the only one you've ever paid attention to. Yes. So yeah. what else in your life would be that much better if you simply just were present and paying attention? So whether it's cooking or doing your laundry or drinking your glass of wine or talking with your kids or your partner or sitting down to answer your email, if you weren't distracted, how would your relationship shift to whatever it is you're doing? And ultimately, when we practice this more to kind of come full circle, it allows us to get out of our own heads and out of our own ways. Because we recognize how much of our lives we stay distracted for simply out of habit, out of pattern, out of self-protection, out of, you know, some unskillful role modeling, some from maybe our mothers before us or people who glorified the busyness. Um, and, you know, I find it's interesting that you brought up like emails and things like that, because I feel like people are now using their phones and their devices as a means to actually numb their thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we can use our phones as a source of awareness. So for example, here's what I will say to people is it kind of often feels like our phones are the, the little box in Mission Impossible where, you know, you get the, the, the mission should you choose to accept it. And if you don't acknowledge it, then the box will combust. So, you know, every time you get a text, it's not going to disappear if you don't check it immediately. Same thing with your email. So you can actually use these sounds as tools to just slow down and take a breath. You can even set in your calendar reminders to pop up during your day to say, slow down, take a minute and just breathe or exhale or mindfully stretch your body or, you know, check in with one of your senses so you can set reminders. The other thing that I think people are using their phone is just simply unconsciously. So it's that endless scrolling to which there's no end. Like I remember early, early, early in the days of Facebook when my Facebook friends were like actually everyone who I really knew and it was maybe a hundred people. I remember they used to get to the point where if you scrolled long enough, you got back to the post you saw that morning. Well, 
I don't know about you, but my Facebook now has people that I don't physically know because it's grown kind of in a professional way. And there's so many people, I'm never going to get to the beginning point. So if I'm not conscious and aware of what I'm doing, that endless practice, I can get lost in for hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Social media. I remember when you'd actually get to the end and it would say you're all caught up. Yes. (laughs) Right. Like that's never going to happen anymore. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoy doing is at the end of the night, one of my ways of winding down is to play some games on my phone. It's my mindless activity to get me to stop thinking and actually quiet my mind. And at first I used to have a lot of judgment because I thought, oh, I'm on my phone while I'm in my bed that I shouldn't, quote, shouldn't do that. But when I shifted my relationship to it from one of judgment to one of, this is an opportunity for me to just have to do nothing right now but I also gave myself kind of a limit. And I told myself, as soon as I start feeling mindless and addicted, then that's time for me to stop. If I can stick with playing my game of dots or the word game in a way that's calming and in alignment with my intention to relax, then I was had an easier time giving myself permission without judgment. It was as soon as I was like, holy cow, it's now been 45 minutes. And I didn't even realize that I lost all that time. But when I I was no longer conscious in the process, then it became a problem for me. I love that. I love that. So um, with all of that being said, what do you think, especially as a mom, but for people universally is the most important place they start when they're trying to change their habits when it comes to being mindful? It has to absolutely start with awareness. Like I said, you can't change what you're not aware of. So it's an opportunity to look at yourself with curiosity and compassion at the areas that aren't working in your life and just sit with that for a little bit. You don't, you know, I I even tell people who are unhappy in their relationships, all you're doing is gathering information. You don't have to do anything with it yet. Just because you're unhappy relationship doesn't mean to, you know, end it tomorrow. So when you can look at, it as I'm simply gathering information to give me more insight into my own life. It gives us a little bit of a better ability to observe it without judgment. And that's one of the keys because we tend to be very judgmental towards ourselves. And the opposite of judgment is compassion. So to begin to get curious, and if we always come from that place of curiosity then it's easier to get into the cycle of, of reactivity, reactivity and judgment. But to start just with an awareness of how do I feel right now? Can I be okay with what I'm feeling? Or do I, you know, is my tendency to push this feeling away? Can I just sit with this for a moment? Because the more we get to know ourselves in the here and now, the more aware we become. Because part of what I recognized on my journey was I... I never really got to know myself in the present. The decisions I made about myself were made from a very, very, very young age. And I never gave myself permission or the opportunity to redefine myself as I got older. I love it. So if people want to find you and look more into your program and your, um, your articles and all of these things, how do they find you? Yeah, probably the easiest is uh, my website, which will give access to everything, which is joryrose.com. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E.com. And I post daily on Instagram. My handle is also joryrose. 
Um, I've got a podcast, which is Journey Forward with jo- with Jory Rose, and that's um, mostly found on Apple iTunes, but on a lot of the other platforms as well. And you could find me on Facebook. I've got a Journey Forward Facebook group that I have been growing beautifully and having a lot of engagement in of every morning, at least during this pandemic. And it likely won't last forever because it's been a lot of um, a lot of daily en- engagement. But I've been doing morning meditations, about five minute guided meditations, and then every evening, um, short little mindfulness talks and tools um, and how to bring more mindful awareness into your life and practices. So that has felt really great um, to grow, but to show up and be in service with. Um, but my, my website will have resource for everything from, I've got some mini audio courses up on there. I've got some meditations and that library keeps growing. I'm in the midst of building my big online course. Um, the website has also links to my books and articles and blog. And it's a one-stop shop. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm so thankful you came on to talk today about um, a lot of mindfulness and also, you know, as mothers, giving ourselves permission. Cause I know a lot of my listeners are mothers and, and that's a definitely a big topic. It's huge. And, you know, it's, it's one that I have with so many of my clients and they don't recognize the subtle messages that they're role modeling to their kids that may not be the way that they would really want to give a message if they were to verbally name it. So it's, it's a, it's a selfless act to look at yourself because you get to shift and role model actually who you want to be and not have these mixed messages of, you know, this, you're, you're supposed to be able to do it all without feeling any of the pain. And yet, you know, we're human. We're going to feel all of it. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Jory, for coming. Thank you for having me. It's been absolutely a pleasure connecting with you. So happy that we're able to, to continue to grow our communities and awareness and conversations. It's such a beautiful gift. Oh, and the podcasting has been fantastic because it's so amazing. The people I get to speak with and their journeys and what they did to help themselves and help others. And it's just been a huge blessing. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when we can expand our circles and become, you know, in, in connection with so many aligned people. So thank you for having me on. Well, that about wraps up my conversation with Jory Rose. I'm so thankful you guys took the time to tune in and listen. I have been so fortunate to have this podcast, to have amazing people coming on, sharing their journeys, their stories, what helped them get through life, things that helped them make changes that they had a hard time making before in the past. It's just a really wonderful thing to have such a wonderful community of people that are coming out and doing things to help others. So I'm so happy and enthusiastic about where things with this podcast are going. And it seriously warms my heart when I get messages from my listeners saying, hey, this speaker or this podcast helped me make changes in my life. Thank you so much. These kind of things are what makes my time worth it. And so thank you so much for tuning in and listening because it really means a lot to me. I also always welcome feedback. So send me a message on social media, head on over to my website. You can contact me there. I always love feedback, good or bad. I can't improve unless I know what you guys like and what you want to listen to. Um, Also, if there's any subjects I haven't covered that you're really interested in, 
let me know. I would be happy to try to find somebody to come on and talk about these things. So thank you again so much for tuning in and thanks for joining me.